It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a fatigue, listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something in your own head, beat it up, and I believe got no seats. The whole ladder puts a platter with a fear fight down. I fire in the fire, but the city's other gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury's beating down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. No, the hour of bloom. Oh, well, that is arguable given the current (laughs) election status. But welcome anyhow to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, an awesome autumn hour in an awful world. I'm Joe Alden, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find close to 900, wow, posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Also known as Nurse Amy and the hostess with the mostess. Our mission, to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. Together, we are the dynamic duo, the perfect pair, the (laughs) courageous couple. And we're here for the sole purpose, the absolute sole purpose of helping you keep it together, even if everything else Falls apart. Which it did in the past couple weeks. That's right. <laughs> we, we lost files for our shows. Uh, yes, we have The lost. microphone stopped working. Yes, we've have <laughs> had some issues, and so this technical. has been. We've had a Sorry. little hiatus due to technical difficulties, oh and we are glad to be back. Oof. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a parsimonious pumpkin? Well, that's your story. You're sticking to it. Well, our attorney says, happy Halloween, but don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern, and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. But if things go south, what modern and standard medical care? I'd like to ask. Well, you out there had better learn what to do in medical emergencies, get some medical supplies, maybe even from the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. Also can be found at altonfirstaid.com. Yeah, which is a little easier to remember. That's true. So head on over there. Now, that's just an opinion from an uninterested, unbiased party. 
uninterested. <laughs> you seem a little interested. Just the tiniest bit. <laughs> hey, what's up, Buttercup? We learn as much from you as you do from us. That's obvious. So connect with us. It's easy. And here's a fabulous nurse, Amy, to tell you how. Wow, I feel like Vanna White. <laughs> you can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages, Doom and Bloom, and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, and our other podcast. All about current events, politics, and worse (laughs) at American Survival Radio. Now broadcast from KPJC, Relevant Talk News out of Salem, Oregon. News Talk. Oh, I always say that wrong. Relevant News Talk Radio. Relevant News Talk Radio. Out of Salem, (laughs) Oregon, and... There's a new one. That's right. The Voice of Lubbock, Texas. Radio KRFE. So exciting. Thank you guys for adding us to your lineups. Yay. Friends, have you felt the joy and satisfaction you get from helping the elderly? Well, why not make an old man very happy? That's me. By I was getting... going to say, I think you're talking about yourself. <laughs> By getting a copy of our brand new spanking, uh, no, brand spanking new, not brand new spanking, Brand spanking new third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way, now available on Amazon. 700, I kid you not, pages of all sorts of news you can use in times of trouble. I guarantee you'll be glad you put our book in your survival library. Now, today we're going to be talking about, by the way, we are in... I just want to mention one more thing. We have a new review... Not on Broadway, uh-huh. but <laughs> a new review on YouTube by Black Scout Survival. Oh, of what? Of Black Scout Survival. So Black Scout Survival's reviewing Black Scout Survival? No, you were just talking about our book. Oh, our book. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Silly thanks, boy. Thanks to Jack and all those great guys at Black Scout Survival. We do Oh, it's just by himself. It. I, well, he does it, and you know who his group is? It's his wife. His wife okay. helps him out. Oh, well, thank you, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Black Scout Survivor. I appreciate it. Hey, I want to talk a little bit. Oh, we're going to talk to somebody very interesting today. Uh-huh. We're going to be talking to someone who's lived off-grid. Like, for real. For real. I know. For 36 years. You ever wanted to... Live off grid. Think. No, want to know about what it's like to live wow. off grid, or how you can possibly function, and how you can get some creature comforts. And well, this guy has done it. This guy has lived in Maine, right? Yep. And now he lives in northern Saskatchewan somewhere, and in Canada. Boy, oh boy, that is a pretty impressive, <laughs> impressive thing. And we are going to learn a little bit today about what it takes. We're going to hear about. What he has done, this guy, his name is Ron Melchior, and he's an outdoorsman, a pioneer, a homesteader, a remote exploration camp manager, matter of fact, and now an author. He has lived off-grid since 1980, him and his wife, Joanna. They have spent the better parts of their lives, um, lives unplugged as part of the Back to the Land movement that originated in the 70s. They have spent their adult years living the homestead dream. Now, the couple currently live on a remote lake, as I said, in northern Saskatchewan, wow, where they have enjoyed the freedom of the wilderness for the past 16 years, 20 years before that, 
in northern Maine. And his book is called Off Grid and Free, My Path to the Wilderness, published by Moon Willow Press. And let me tell you about this guy, Ron Melchior. He has hiked the Appalachian Trail. All 2,000 miles plus. Now, I have hiked the Appalachian Trail, but I've only hiked the entire <laughs> Appalachian Trail, too, but only the entire width of the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> Which, so. folks, this is probably about three feet, <laughs> just so you understand. That's the width of it. You know what else he's done? And you'll, you'll find out during the interview, is he has biked from on a, on a bicycle, and I think maybe part of it hiked, too, from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, all the way across. Wow. I know. Well, I am Isn't very... Isn't that wild? I am very impressed. I cannot wait to hear... And a bear has touched him. As, oh, boy. That's how close he's gotten touched to Touched him emotionally, or... It, it probably close? affected him emotionally. <laughs> he's been through two wildfires that almost burned down his homestead, which he stayed during it. I mean... It's incredible story, folks. You got to just listen to this interview. It is amazing. Absolutely. So we're going to be talking to Ron Melchior, and he is again the author of Off Grid and Free: My Path to the Wilderness. Here's the lovely Nurse Amy with Ron Melchior. First off, Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much, Amy, and I thank uh, Dr. Joe as well for uh, taking the time to have us on. No problem. I know it took us a while to coordinate. You've got so many things going on, and most of your life you're out of touch with everything. So let's tell the folks who are listening um, about your lifestyle and your background. Again, my name is Ron Melchior, and I'm looking out our picture window at uh, Winter Wonderland. We've got about eight to nine inches of snow. It's come early this year. It's kind of absurd, but uh, that's the way it is. My wife and I live on a remote lake in northern Saskatchewan. Float plane is the only way you're going to reach us. There are no roads. There's no trails. We, uh, the only way anybody can ever visit us is by, uh, by air, by float plane coming in. We generally shop twice a year, and it's only during those times that we do our shopping. We take care of our appointments. That's the only times that we see other human beings. So as a general rule, we see uh, other humans only uh, twice a year when we come out for shopping. We just came in actually uh, maybe two, three weeks ago. Early October is when the uh, last time that we were out. Uh, when that uh, float plane dropped us off and lifted off the lake and uh, became a speck in the distance, that was our last connection to the outside world uh, as far as humanity is concerned. So our real connection to the outside world is this computer satellite that we're we're talking and uh, kibitzing on so it's uh, kind of wonderful to be out in the bus so um, it's just my wife and me that's uh, out here it's uh, just a wonderful uh, life to be living out in the wilderness i never saw this coming um, my background actually is i'm a city guy from the united states i was born in philadelphia and uh, grew up in the suburbs became an electronics technician. One one day I was lamenting the fact to my boss that it seemed like there had to be more to life than just working it away. And he suggested homesteading. And it was like uh, the bells going off at that point. And uh, so I headed to uh, Northern Maine and that's my first start in uh, homesteading. That is absolutely incredible. So tell me a little bit, bit about your daily life because I think people are really interested. Everyone has this dream of truly living off the grid, but 
for the most part in the United States, you know, we're still able to connect. You know, you might have satellite TV or, you know, some connection with others. Mm -hmm. Stores might not be too far away, even though you're, quote, off-grid. So if you really have to buy something, you know, you can get there. But what you're talking about is, like, way far out in the boondocks. Mm -hmm. You guys are alone. Give me a Monday through Friday what you guys have to go through uh, just to be able to, to live. It's really very little difference between the uh, living and homesteading in the U.S., for example, and living out here. If someone was to come out and visit us, mm-hmm. they'd really no, never know that they're 100 miles out in the bush. We were pretty Spartan in Maine, but we've got a pretty deluxe setup here. We've got the, the color TV. We've got the satellite TV. We've got the Internet. We've got hot and cold running water, um, shower, you know, so... Um, we've got all the amenities here. We've got a couple chest freezers and a refrigerated freezers. So it's not like we're living a Spartan lifestyle out here in just a little log cabin. Uh, we've, we've pretty got, pretty much got a deluxe setup. So our daily life routine, it really is more seasonal. Um, in the wintertime, we would go out and cut firewood, for example. Mm-hmm. And then uh, springtime, we'd uh, lug that in. And then uh, spring and summer, is the garden and uh, outdoor activities and i love to uh, be out in the boat joanna loves to be in the canoe so we get our outdoor adventures and and fun in that way in the fall of course is um, the harvest and and preparing for winter so as far as our our daily uh, routine and life uh, i'm I'm on the internet and uh, right now I, i just happen to be uh doing an audio book, uh, recording my voice for an audio book. So I guess uh, the the normal routine of of anybody else is pretty much what we do. Um, There's really not a whole lot uh, special that we do. Well, how do you get your electricity? Our electricity, we've been off grid actually for 36 years now, Uh Um, 20 years in Maine and uh, 16 years out here in the bush. Mm -hmm. I've got an 800-watt solar array on the roof, and then I've got uh, a 2-kilowatt wind turbine behind the house, and then we've got a diesel, little single-cylinder diesel generator Uh that uh, is back up to this whole thing. And uh, generally, we don't need to use the the generator other than in the fall, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're actually using it pretty much daily for an hour, hour and a half, every other day, something like that, because of all the clouds. It's just uh, brutal for the last three weeks or so. It's just been nothing but clouds for for whatever reason. We're we're stuck. Oh, no. That's not too good for uh, solar power, that's for sure. But that's not typical. No, true. Usually it's pretty sunny. No, it's kind of typical in the fall, Uh but in October, uh, it seems to have come much sooner than uh, normal. We've never experienced eight to nine inches of snow this early in October. Um, usually it's November when this kind of stuff shows up. So we just seem to be in a uh, whatever the jet stream is doing. It's it's pushing some pretty lousy weather our way, and it's been inordinately cold and uh, dead dead zone as far as the wind. It hasn't been that very windy, so the wind turbine's kind of useless too. Oh, so you do have, I was just going to say, do you, do you have a wind turbine? And you do. How much do you think that that actually contributes to your electricity, the wind? 
in a year, my guess would be 30%, 30 to 40% maybe. Wow. So, yeah, it's, uh, when it becomes windy, it's windy for, for a couple of days. Uh-huh. And uh, this, this setup is very good in that it can even capture a 12 to 13 mile an hour wind and give us a, you know, a couple of amps. So it's, it's a trickle charge when it's that low, but at least it's given us something to offset our daily use. Right. So it's a good setup. Now, did you buy this as a package or, or did you piecemeal this yourself or did someone install this for you? How did you, did you get the solar power and wind turbine combination with well, obviously you have something to store energy for the, for the evening or when it's mm-hmm. cloudy too. How did you put all this mm-hmm. together? I designed the system. Um, oh, good. So initially, uh, I knew what we wanted to power. You're right, we do have storage. We've got a 1,576 amp uh, amp hour battery bank down uh, in the, in the uh, first floor. Uh-huh. And um, that's almost a ton of batteries that uh, we've got in the house here. Wow. And um, so as far as the solar... Uh, that was easy to install. Mm-hmm. The wind package came as a self-contained package by itself that I incorporated. But the uh, charger that came with the turbine was really a piece of junk. <laughs> and uh, af- after a bunch of frustration, I decided to buy a midnight controller. Uh, it's, a, it's another product by another company. Uh-huh. And it matched up very well with the turbine itself. And it's just been an awesome uh, duo once I incorporate that new uh, midnight controller in there. So, um, yeah, I get it all pretty much uh, incorporated wow. over time. That's great. Well, the fact that you have your background, your education, really is totally helpful. Now, I, my mm-hmm. thing about the solar, and, you know, I've I, compared to you, I've, I've strictly dabbled in this. I do have a lot of solar power. Um, a lot of panels mm-hmm. that I can um, put together, daisy chain. I've, I figured this all out. I've got marine batteries, I've got inverters, and I've got really heavy-duty cables. But my idea mm-hmm. and the thing that, that I've kind of read about, and, and I'd like you to share this information from the expert that I'm talking to here, is that a battery can be charged and discharge only a certain amount of times. And, and you're, I want you to tell me if I'm right or wrong. So you've got a ton of battery, one ton of batteries. That's not an exaggeration, folks, compared to, I, it sounds like mm-hmm. she needs all of this. Are those going to go bad? I mean, is this true that we only are going to get a certain number of charges and discharges from any batteries that we are keeping for the future? It depends on the batteries. And, yes, it's very close to a ton of batteries that we have here. So it depends. I'll just talk about lead acid, which is pretty much the standard uh, that most people would use. Okay. Um, Yes, there's only a certain number of charges that you can – Put on a battery. Mm-hmm. A car battery is definitely different than a deep cycle battery. Your marine battery is kind of in between those two. It's, okay. I don't think it's technically a deep cycle. These, each individual battery is about 300 pounds that we loved it. Had to fly in. Keep in mind, all this stuff is flown in. Oh yeah. So uh, I don't. I don't want to fly in another uh, <laughs> ton of batteries. So we. What we've done is babied them. And for 16 years, they've, they've been just fine. What I do is I won't take them down any more than 
I really baby them, even though these are true deep cycle batteries. So if you shallow discharge them, you're going to get more life out of them. I think that I could get another 16 years out of these batteries with no problem. I, it's important to maintain them properly, make sure they've got water, make sure that you clean up the sulfate, any sulfate that uh, it's a bluish powder kind of uh, gunk that uh, shows up on the top of your battery. Sometimes you may have noticed that yeah. you want to keep that all cleaned up and make sure that uh, you don't self-discharge. But uh, I've taken the, the approach of babying the batteries, and I believe they will give us much more life than if you deep uh, cycle them. Gotcha. So don't completely discharge mm-hmm. the battery. Now, do you have a monitor, some sort of indicator that, that tells you when you're at 20% for the battery? I do. I've, okay. I've got, yeah, I've got, I've got a trace. Well, it's, it's, it is a trace, but no, I think they've been taken over by Zang trucks. But uh, back in the old days, uh, it was trace products. I've got a trace inverter. Mm-hmm. It's a, a modified sine wave inverter. And then I've got uh, just a simple battery monitor. And uh, I've got it set up so that I know uh, when I see 300 amp hours, roughly, mm-hmm. uh, I know I'm close okay. to 20%, somewhere around there. <laughs> this is just so interesting. Now, do you also use the solar for um, the heating of the water for your showers and whatnot? No, and that's a great question. What we've done is we've got a fairly wood cook stove, uh-huh. and what it's got is a uh, water jacket, what's called a water jacket in it. Yeah. So basically it's plumbed into a tank, and what's co- it's called a thermosiphon loop. Mm-hmm. So there's no fan or, or pump needed to uh, circulate the water. This It does this on its own, just from the principle of hot air or hot water rising to the top and cold air or cold water coming down the bottom and replacing it. In this case, it's water. So the hot air uh, or the hot water, I mean, uh, circulates into the tank, and we've always got hot water. It's a beautiful setup. It costs nothing other than the the effort to cut firewood. And every time we have a fire in, in the cook stove, we're actually heating our water at the same time. Wow. That is fantastic. See, I know you probably don't think that's, like, really exciting, but for people who are listening, they're like, where can I get one of these? <laughs> this is awesome, really. Well, I mean, we love this stuff. I absolutely love it. Um, okay, so how are you storing your food? Do you do a lot of dehydrating do you freeze dry? Do you have some freeze dry machine, or how do you store your food um, long term? Because you're obviously not going to the grocery store very often. Right. So, since we shop every uh, six months, uh-huh. you're right. We do need to inventory a lot of food, and we've got two chest freezers, and those chest freezers happen to be outside. We take advantage of the our seasonal cold spell which is you know significantly longer than most people because we're in northern canada right so we we keep our uh freezers outside and then we've got a nice refrigerator freezer in the kitchen itself so that's how we freeze our stuff now joanna also cans hundreds of jars of uh various vegetables and soups and you, you name it she she cans it so uh the pantry is always uh, fully stocked with mm-hmm hundreds of jars of uh, produce. So to answer your question, we freeze a lot, uh-huh. we can a lot, 
She does uh, making of jellies and jams. Back when we were in Maine, we used to grow um, and raise animals. We don't do that here, but we still have that knowledge. So what we do is instead fly in a side of beef and a whole frozen pig every two years. And then we still uh, cut and wrap and make our own sausages, smoke our own meats, cure our own uh, hams and bacon, and basically uh, even take it down to the fact that uh, we make our own soap. So uh, wow. we've got uh, the routine down pretty pretty uh, well. Okay, so that, that actually sort of maybe answers the next question that is off the top of my head is, do you hunt and fish or hunt or fish? <laughs> no, I, I do fish, uh-huh. but it's only for sport. Okay. I'm not big in, neither one of us are big into eating fish, but we love to catch them. The, the lake is full of uh, trout and northern pike, so mm-hmm. we have a lot of fun catching them. As far as hunting, I'm not opposed to it. There's no philosophical reason that uh, we couldn't hunt. Right. It's just I'm not, I never grew up with on wild game, so I'm just not comfortable right. eating wild game. I'm just more comfortable eating uh, beef and pork and uh, chicken and turkey. So well, that's, that's what we we have. It, you know, it does taste different. I mean, let's admit it. <laughs> when mm-hmm. they say, oh, that tastes mm-hmm. a little gamey, it, it it sort of really <laughs> does take a little ga- taste a little gamey. And I'm not sure, mm-hmm. I w- you know, I've, I've eaten at restaurants that serve unusual meat. Um, there's one particular in Denver that's, you know, really famous. But, you know, that's like once a year. <laughs> I don't think I would want to have that that unusual taste, you know, in, it, in one meal every single day. Like, it just doesn't taste quite right. I'll eat it because it's a nice restaurant yeah. and they got a fancy sauce on it. But for daily life, no, I, I'm kind of with you. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I hear you. <laughs> if we had to, we could certainly do it. I mean, there's plenty of moose and uh, bear and uh, caribou and, and small game. So yeah. if we had to do it, we could certainly do it. But well, that, it's and, just and not uh, our fortune. If, if, listen, we all, if we got to do what we got to do, you know, you, you live with it. Um, mm-hmm. And that, and that mm-hmm. was one of my next questions is, um, I know you're alone as far as people, but how many animals come come around and sort of, sniff around and you know maybe while you're out fishing hang out near you to see if you're going to toss them a trout or they're curious about you you guys get a lot of i would say bears would probably be the scariest thing to me but there might be something else up there well there's definitely a lot of animal stories in fact uh, in my book uh, i've got a full chapter devoted to animal stories and and you're right uh, i can tell you fishing stories (laughs) i've been touched by a bear I've got oh, no. uh, a, a bear. <laughs> yeah, fortunately it was a black bear, but still, oh. it could have uh, been serious. Oh yeah. And uh, even a black bear uh, was bound and determined to get in the the bedroom window one night uh, in the middle of the night. So yes, there's lots of animal stories. Uh, there's uh, uh, a pack of wolves that we kind wow. of uh, enjoyed last went uh, last fall. Uh huh. And uh, I've got uh, some birds. I've had some wonderful experiences with birds out here. There's three different species that I've been able to hand feed. And, uh, yeah, and that's pretty special, you know, to be able to sit down in a chair 
and have a flock of birds basically in your lap and, and at your feet and uh, eating out of your hand. And, uh, it's, it's just uh, been, been a special thing to be able to, do, to say yeah, I've done that. Um, in fact, uh, speaking of birds, we've got pine grosbeaks, a flock of them now out back, and they're co- comfortable enough that I've been able to walk up to within five feet of them in the tree and start snapping pictures. So it's just pretty neat to be able to, to do that kind of stuff out here in the bush. Oh, it, it, you know, pe- there are people who literally just, it's their dream, honestly. And nothing that you've said mm-hmm. would deter anyone from wanting to do this. So, you know, before we get too fairy tale with people, because it, it really does sound beautiful, what would you say that you miss the most from City Life, if, if anything, honestly? Is there anything? Honestly, no. We pretty much, anything that we would miss uh-huh. would be, mostly food mm-hmm. and we make sure that we like if it's ice cream or something like that we make sure we've got the ingredients to make ice cream so okay. um there might be a time where we run out run out of ice cream <laughs> and i've got a craving and uh, uh, then i wish i could go to the store or kfc or i get the hankering every six months before i come out i know that's the first uh, one of the first stops we're going to make is uh, to get my fix of kfc <laughs> But uh, as far as <laughs> but as far as uh, being miss, missing things of civilization, I really can't think of anything. We're we're just so content to be out here, um, and we're just it's it's interesting because when we go to the city, and it's not that big a city to get resupplied. But dealing with all the traffic and uh, the people, we're always anxious to to come home here. It's not that we're antisocial. It's just that we're very comfortable being on our own, and we just don't feel that need to be surrounded by people. So uh, we're always anxious to get back home. Uh, There's no place like home is what they say. That is just beautiful, seriously. Um, Have have you guys had, you know, of course, I'm a nurse practitioner, and and Joe's a doctor. Mm -hmm. Have you had mm-hmm. any medical emergencies? I know we're going to talk about a wildfire, and I know you had an issue with a wildfire, but have you, either of you, had any medical emergencies that you thought, oh, no, what are we going to do? It, they're too far. They can't get to us. Has there been anything you couldn't handle, or, or have there been things that you had enough supplies that you could handle, you know, knock on wood, you were prepared? Mm-hmm. Well, that's another great question. Um, part of being self-reliant is, is being able to take care of yourself. So to that end, I took an EMT course, I don't know, I think it was 1989. Uh-huh. So I have just a little basic uh, knowledge of that. Uh, just a couple years ago, I uh, took a, a two-week course for first responders. So we try and arm ourselves with some basic something a little more than basic knowledge right. you know, putting a band-aid on for instance mm-hmm. um we have a fortunately a great rapport with a doctor so that uh, we don't have any problem having antibiotics and uh, right. pain medications and, and some special things out here because of our unique situation so we okay. do have that so to answer your question Many, well, many times. Uh, there's probably been four times where I've come down with some kind of funky infection mm-hmm. and antibiotics need to uh, be used to uh, knock this out. Yeah. 
So it certainly saved us from a, a lengthy flight and a costly flight to uh, get help. There have been a couple times, uh, I guess twice, where we decided we best go out and get uh, help. And fortunately, it wasn't an issue to get a float plane in here. Right. I did break my rib. Uh, I was digging a, a well out front here, mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe I laid flat on my stomach and tried to lift out a, p- a pipe that was in a trench, and my rib was on just a little stone. But as soon as I lifted up, my rib went pop, and I broke a rib. Um, and, of course, I, I didn't do anything about that. I wasn't didn't fly out or anything. Um, so that, that healed on its own. Right. So there's certainly, if in 16 years, Knock on wood. it's pretty hard to imagine. Yeah, it's pretty hard to I, imagine I not having knocking, some problem. Right, Ron, I truly am knocking on wood. Because, I mean, if you think of it, the lifestyle, and just chopping wood. Just chopping wood, the act of that. People who have been doing it their whole mm-hmm. lives, loggers, people, that is their profession. Mm-hmm. They know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. it they, they end up hurting themselves, and they slice things off and slash legs and arms and fingers and toes. And, you know, it's, it's scary. I know you're cutting a lot of wood. Are there, is there a kit that you carry when you go out to the wood? pile to start really chopping do you keep a little kit by you in case you start hemorrhaging because it doesn't you know it doesn't no. take long to bleed out uh for sure no i don't carry a kit and when i moved to northern maine and that's a story in itself but <laughs> i became a logger uh, oh. i had a 120 acre woodlot i had no idea what the value of that for uh, 20 years, I was a logger, so I logged, selectively harvested a woodlot, and I've cut thousands of cords of uh, wood. Right. And um, so it's very important, and it drives me nuts when I see uh, a television program, uh, somebody cutting wood with a chainsaw. They've got no helmet. They've got no ear and eye protection, right. nothing protecting their legs. So I won't go out and cut. Uh, that's, that's my mantra without having the Kevlar pants and a helmet right. and uh, steel-toed boots. I was just going to uh, say, so you're, I you're, put the odds you're, in my favor. Right, yes, because, mm-hmm. you're, because not only that, you, you know what you're doing, you have lots of experience, mm-hmm. and you add the experience with the safety equipment. And I think a lot of people, what you're it, saying, may have the experience in what makes it makes them lazy. They say, oh, I know how to do that. I would never hurt myself. So forget all the mm-hmm. that stuff. It's too hot outside. I'm just going to go out and cut this wood. And then they end up hurting themselves. Whereas if they would have used the safety um, equipment, that might not have happened. So mm-hmm. you're being smart about it. Do you have equipment? Well, for, in case- for, I was just going to say, for sure, that's even more of an exclamation point is the fact that we're out here remote by ourselves is more of a factor. We must protect ourselves. I mean, it's just imperative that we stack the the odds in our favor that we're not uh, taking a chance, uh, an unnecess- un- yeah, an yeah. unnecessary chance right. of uh, getting into trouble. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm sure you, having gone through the EMT course, you've got some pretty good medical supplies. So. I'm I'm really happy you have mm-hmm. that knowledge because again mm-hmm. a lot of people go out and they're like, well, I've figured out electricity, I've figured out water, 
I've got shelter, I've got food, and they don't think about the medical supplies. They just don't. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. got some Band-Aids and a bottle of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's just not enough. So I'm glad that, you know, you took the time to get the training knowing that you were going to be so far away from help that you would be able to have some knowledge for you and your wife to be able to help you guys, mm-hmm. help yourself. So Exactly. <clears throat> For sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about your book. I mean, we've I, I love all these stories, and we really could talk forever. But why, why don't you tell people um, about your book again, folks? It's called Off Grid and Free, and and as you can hear from Ron, they are truly off grid and free. So, uh, what made you write the book, and and tell us a little bit about it? Well, thanks for the opportunity, Amy. Uh, it is off grid and free, my path to the wilderness, and it is uh, available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's published by Moon Willow Press. What made me write it is the fact that you know our life for the last 36 years for us has just been a normal routine. There's nothing been special about it. It's just our life. Mm-hmm. But when I get back to family or I I meet friends or or just perfect strangers, and they start hearing some of the stories. I've, over the years, I've heard so many people say, geez, you really ought to write a book about that. <laughs> right. And I agree with that. I just didn't. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was worth <laughs> worthwhile, uh, you know, writing. But I heard it enough times that I decided, okay, I'll start to write some stories down. Yeah. And eventually, you know, I had 18 chapters. And, geez, I've got a book now. Mm-hmm. So um, it, basically the book is, is about my life and how a city boy ended up out in the bush. Um, I started, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, in an electronics career. Mm-hmm. And at the suggestion of my boss, I ended up homesteading in Maine for 20 years. That gave us the flexibility to be able to do some really neat trips. I, I threw hiked the Appalachian Trail in the wintertime. Um, so that's uh, 2,180 oh, miles uh, yes. from Springer Mountain, Georgia. And, Ron, I'm, I'm going to throw this uh, in right now. Mm-hmm. My house, what I'm looking out in my back window, is the Smoky Mountain National Park. Right this second, oh. I'm looking at Mount <laughs> Leconte. So you hiked what I'm looking at right this second. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I've got, in fact, uh, I mentioned I'm doing this audio book, so it's all coming back to me as I read this thing. And, uh, yeah, I've got a little blurb in there about the Smoky Mountains National Park. Uh, that's a really very nice park to hike. So I, I did thoroughly enjoy my time going through there. Um, so uh, I ended up uh, doing this in winter and uh, ended up at Mount Katahdin in Maine. Mm-hmm. And then uh, years later, I did a cross-country bicycle trip. We uh, drove all the way across to wa- from Maine to Washington State. My wife drove back, and she took uh, a lot of the state parks and the national monuments and national parks in as uh, her sightseeing tour, and I bicycled my way back across the United States. So I dipped my hand in the Pacific Ocean and didn't stop until I uh, dipped it in the Atlantic Ocean. So those are two uh, trips that a lot of people aren't able to do, and I was very fortunate to have the health and, and the time to be able to do that. And then the uh, 16 years out here in the bush. So mm-hmm. the, the book is a uh, a composition that takes in all these d- 
different experiences in my life and how they all kind of lead from one to the next to uh, ultimately ending up, up out in the bush here. That is amazing. Do you detail any of these things we talked about in the beginning of the show as far as, you know, how it works and what you've done and how you prepped the house and how you did the electricity and the water and all. Do you talk about that in detail at all? Yes. It is, uh, in, in all honesty, it's not a how-to book, but there is so much information in the book and the reviews. I'm getting so many four- and five-star, mostly five-star uh, ratings and reviews. And anybody that's interested in this lifestyle or homesteading or just being self-reliant, mm -hmm. the reviews that are coming in are that there's so much information packed into this book. It's just worth everybody to read it if, if you're into the adventure and you enjoy outdoors, and, and uh, particularly if you're off-grid and uh, self-sufficient uh, as far as your interests. So there, there's a lot of information in the book that uh, I think would be of I love it. Big value to people. So, well, we're, mm -hmm. we're definitely getting a copy, absolutely. Um, can you tell me, again, let's jump back to your homestead. You had an experience with a forest fire, and I know we've talked about some animals and some different medical issues, but uh, what is mm -hmm. it like to deal with a forest fire when you've got a homestead and you're kind of not near any fire trucks? What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh in one word it's frightening uh terrifying um we've we've had a number of fire scares out here four of them r really serious um and then two of them that uh, got within 90 feet of the house so if you can imagine forest fires burning within 90 feet of the house that gives you some idea of how oh. what a close call we've we've had twice there's a whole chapter in the book devoted to our fire experiences mm -hmm. uh, i go into detail on what it's like to experience the fire itself how we saved and protected our property with sprinklers and things i'll just briefly tell you a quick story um there's over those two fires pretty much three quarters of a million acres burned around here so they're, they're huge fires wow. and there was one fire that this was back in 2002 mm -hmm. um we had two fires one south of us one north of us and they were burning uh, and meeting us in the middle we're in the middle of this thing so joanna was evacuated i was out here getting the uh, pumps continually running uh, to, to keep water flowing uh, through the system. Mm -hmm. And I heard what sounded like a freight train. Uh, I was warned that the, the fire was on the move and it was going to likely join that day. So uh, I kept the pumps going. I heard what sounded like a freight train coming. I ran down to the beach, and all I saw was uh, just an intense orange-red undulating wall of flame about four miles south of uh, the lake. Uh, yeah, like four miles south of me at the end of the lake. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> you talk about dry mouth. Oh. Uh, my mouth went dry as a stone. And uh, I headed towards the fire, and it was just the most amazing night. Uh, the reason I headed towards the fire, I was in the boat, and I headed towards the fire in the boat. Mm -hmm. And that night I uh, was either in the boat, in the lake, in a survival suit, or on an island, and even islands burned. That's how vigorous this thing was. So right. it was lobbing 
embers in front of it and burning island. So it was quite the night. As far as I was concerned, that night, the entire world was on fire. I was just completely in the middle, bobbing in the middle of the lake, and I was completely surrounded by flames. Wow. So it was a very interesting night. It's something I would not have missed the world for. Uh, in other words, yeah, I am so thankful and glad that I survived it and was able to experience it. Mm-hmm. It's something that most people would not be able to uh, experience in their lifetime. It was just, it, it, there's no words to describe how awesome and, and unbelievable forest fire is. It's just yeah. uh, one of those things that you have to experience to really understand what, what's involved. Wow. Did you anchor that boat so it wouldn't drift if you had happened to go to sleep? Uh, you couldn't uh, go to sleep. This this was, um, I did not anchor it. And yeah. in fact, uh, I uh, when I was in the boat, I was, all I could do, the wind was blowing, all I could do was keep the boat in reverse and just try and keep myself centered in the lake in the middle uh, because all the shorelines, of course, were glowing orange. So uh, it was just best to try and keep it centered. And I just wanted that flexibility, and, and it actually, later on that night, I think it produced its own weather pattern. So now I'm out in the middle of the boat. I've just survived the forest fire, mm-hmm. and cracks of lightning are, uh, are uh, oh. cracking all around all me. All around and, uh, you. Oh. So, As if it couldn't get yeah. worse. <laughs> no, exactly. But, you know, that the, the rain that night, that quick shower, uh-huh. was really kind of what, uh, put it out enough that I could get back here about three o'clock in the morning, right. and then I played uh, firefighter for the rest of the morning and sprayed water on all the hot spots and small flaming areas. And oh. It was quite the quite the experience. Your mu- your wife must have been freaking out, not knowing what was happening to you. I think so. Yeah, that that's the hardest part. She's a hundred miles away. She didn't even know until I, I made the call the next morning. Hey, you know, the fire just came and burned within 90 feet of the house, but I'm okay. Everything's okay. So it was uh, quite an emotional experience, if you, as you can imagine. Oh, my gosh. Did she tell you never again? Never, ever again are you being <laughs> left? Did she tell you that? Because I would have. <laughs> no, no. Actually, you know, uh, the fire of 2000, oh geez, 2010, we had another fire, and we uh, we went through that one together. So I had enough confidence I, that uh, we she didn't need to be evacuated. So we were in the boat, and we watched that fire come right up the side of the lake and then uh, watch it, uh, another wall of flames coming towards the house, and we could do nothing but just sit there in the boat and hope that the uh, sprinklers did their job at you know, just one of those things where you have to have faith that what you've done is all you can do and, and hope for the best. Absolutely. Now, I know you're out in the middle of nowhere, but obviously somebody knows where you are. If something had happened to you or your wife and your house, would would there have been mm-hmm. somebody who's aware of the fact that you exist to come check on you guys, knowing that a fire was in your area? Did someone come check on you or or is there some sort of emergency uh, system that says, okay, here's where all of our off-grid folks are, and, and this is happening. We need to go make sure they're all okay. Does that happen ever? Yes. There's uh, the Saskatchewan Environmental Resource Management. It's called SERM for short. Okay. And they are just fantastic people. They've, uh, anytime we did help, they've been right there. 
So they will actually come out, fly in here, and set up their own sprinklers to help out whenever possible. Wow. Um, so that's really what helped save us the first, well, both times, actually, is uh, having those guys out here. Um, so, yes, we're well cared for, uh, even though we're out here by ourselves. There's so, always somebody that's aware of our situation. So, I mean, even though you're alone, there's still that sort of warm community feeling from others who you might not see a lot or hardly ever, but you know somebody's thinking about you. That That's really nice. Yes. We're 100 miles from the town of Laurens. That's the closest place to get resupplied. There's a small hospital there, and that's where we have some friends. So even though we're 100 miles away, uh-huh. that's our community. That's that's our feeling, a sense of belonging um, so that's that's when we go back there. Of course, we visit friends quickly and uh, get caught up. So right. that's our community, even though it's 100 miles away. Right. It's like, okay, what have you been doing the past six months? But can you hurry up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a long night. It takes a little while to get caught up. Oh, that's wonderful, though. Um, do you have any advice for people who are listening to your story who? whose eyes have gone glossy and again the the fairy tales are floating around their their head again and they really really want to do this do you do you have any advice for people who really do wish to do this not necessarily exactly where you're doing it but you know for the most part off grid mm-hmm. yeah for sure and and that's that's an important point i hope that nobody hears these stories and decides to trot off into the wilderness without some solid foundation behind them. Mm-hmm. That would be, uh, I think, a mistake. Um, get Learn in a, an environment that if you do fail, it's not catastrophic. Okay. Take it slow. Um, if, if you're interested in the homesteading and the self-reliant lifestyle, start a garden. Grow a garden, mm-hmm. learn how to uh, blanch and freeze vegetables. Once you got that mastered, learn how to can your your produce, and just build on that experience. Um, there's lots of resources. These kind of programs are out there. There's books written. There's lots of people that are willing to share their experiences and knowledge. Tap into that resource, um, and uh, yeah, just. Uh, Another example, if you want to do the off-grid, start with the small system. Get a couple panels and a battery and a, a small charge charger controller and learn how all these pieces work together and then incorporate a wind turbine into the system and, and just build upon your experiences. Each of these experiences, each of these winds that you put into the wind column is a confidence booster. Hey, I know how I can do that. And... Uh, now I'm going to learn something new and just build on that. That that would be my advice. Well, I think it's wonderful advice. Um, I know that you write for several websites, but do you personally have a website? I do. Uh, it's inthewilderness.net. That's all one word, inthewilderness.net. And basically that website is uh, a combination right now of the book and we're selling our property. We've, we've got one more adventure in life before we hit the uh, checkout counter. Aww. So in, uh, we're going to be moving next year to uh, and creating an off-grid homestead on the coast uh, 
of Nova Scotia, wow. most likely anyway. That's the plan. Uh-huh. So um, uh, people that uh, are interested in, and I'm happy to talk to people and answer questions, they can find us at the website. Um, I've got a Facebook page. I've got Pinterest. And uh, as you mentioned, I've got, uh, I do write for some other um, websites. I, I do an occasional post, uh-huh. including Mother Earth News. So uh, I'm pretty accessible. Uh, I've got some really neat uh, YouTube uh, videos, one that uh, kind of gives a, a, a brief 15-minute synopsis of my life, uh, from homesteading in Maine to, to the Appalachian Trail to cross-country bicycling, and then uh, they'll see some lots of pictures of our off-grid homestead here in the bush and how we did things. And what, wait, and what, then, is, what uh, is the name even, of that channel, Ron? What's the name of your YouTube channel? Uh, that that's a good question. It, it will just go under my name, Ron Melchior, YouTube. Okay. All right. I'll find and it. I've and I've got I'll five, put a, I'll put five a link. videos. Yeah, I'll put a link of that. I'll find uh, it for everyone, and I'll put a link mm-hmm, underneath the show mm-hmm. and also on our website. So, oh, awesome. Yeah. So when you guys re when you guys listen to this, go to doomandbloom.net. Go to the show. You'll see this show and the interview, and then in that post, I'm going to put the link for. Ron's website and the Amazon mm-hmm. book and also the YouTube channel. So you guys can find all of the awesome. sources. Yes. So they don't have to go hunting. There's nothing worse than having a hunt for things that you want to find. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm just going to give it to you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy. Oh, Ron, it has been such a pleasure. I mean, what a life. It is a dream. And all of us wish that we could have so many amazing memories. We try to make them as we can. Life gets busy and work, 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 and kids and family and, you know, things Mm -hmm. go on. Um, But you have, it seems like, beautiful experiences every day, and and you're you're very blessed. And uh, it has been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks. You're you're right. It uh, has been a wonderful life. And... Um, this was our life. I hope that people can take some confidence and get some inspiration just from my story. If they've got life is short, so if if they've got uh, something they want to do, go for it. Don't don't hold back. Don't wait. Live your dreams. So thank you so much, Aww. Amy, and uh, and tell tell Dr. Joe we said uh, thank you as well. Oh, you're welcome, Ron. Thank you so. And that was a beautiful sentiment. And everyone should listen to that. Live life now because it's short, folks. It's gone before we know you, it. You bet. Absolutely. All right. Well, you thank you, Ron, and uh, we'll we'll talk soon. Sounds good, Amy. Have a great night. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. There you have it. Thank you for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton, Doctor Bones Nurse Amy. Bye bye. <laughs>